the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Much like the story I'm going to break down today and expand upon and build upon and have some opinions upon and sort of dive deep into the Major League Baseball financial, I don't know, <laughs> offer, tweet, idea that's been floated out there by somebody for some reason. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack this from all angles, but the athletic is really the piece that uh, uncovered this entire puzzle in terms of the Major League Baseball offer to bring in a salary cap floor, a luxury tax floor, a luxury tax change to how the tiers work. I'm going to dive deep into this as they did and, like I said, expand upon it. But certainly, I'll be posting the uh, the article out there that I'm referencing from Kenny Rosenthal and others. Theathletic.com slash track. Get your 40% off to get in there for that kind of article and plenty, plenty more today. That's theathletic.com slash track. My name is Blake Trinetti. Happy Monday. It's going to be a bit of a baseball conversation early on here. And then I'll flip the switch a little bit back to the NFL. Cuts are here. Um, extensions are still coming. I don't think that's done yet. I really don't think that's done yet. I know we have the Jamal Adams discussion. I will break that down a little bit here in the back end of this show. I think TJ Watts right around the corner and maybe Micah Fitzpatrick. It's possible that the Steelers kind of roll it back to their... Uh, their earlier years where it was very, very defensive heavy and, you know, they were linebacker you and all that good stuff. I think there's a chance that instead of just ripping this thing off when Ben is done and it may not be after this year, he may come back for one more season depending on how this goes in 2021. But there's some pretty, pretty solid pieces on that defense. And uh, there's a chance that that could carry them through this division. There's a real chance of that. So I I do think we're going to see, you know, a 28 to $30 million extension for TJ Watt and Mick Fitzpatrick's contract just got a hell of a lot richer with this Jamal Adams situation. So I'll break down the, uh, the numbers that exist. A couple more of these candidates that could be finding their way to new money in the next really two weeks. We're, uh, we're on to that third round of preseasons games now heading into this week. So it's getting out of crunch time. There's another set of roster cuts coming this week and then it gets right down to 53. So, you know, the next time I talk to you in this capacity, it'll probably be, I'll be working on 53-man rosters, practice squads, injured reserves, all that fun stuff to try to get this thing ready for week one. And all, all at the same time trying to draft four or five fantasy rosters. So uh, the real and the fantasy is all part of it this, this time of year, and there's plenty to talk about. But I will be swinging this thing first with Major League Baseball. Like I said, Kenny Rosenthal and a couple of those great athletic Major League Baseball writers have broken out a piece that, you have to think this was kind of handed to them because, um, look, when we're talking about the finances of baseball, it gets ugly pretty fast. You say, you say the words salary cap and dozens and dozens of people around this entire solution, play, mostly the players, freak the hell out. Uh, they want no part of that. And I get it. You know, they're already getting crunched, the players, the agents. They're getting crunched in a lot of regards. And I'm going to try to speak to kind of pound for pound here, but... For those who haven't seen it, and I'm sure many of you have who listen to this kind of a show, the, the proposal is basically teams are going to have to spend up to $100 million in luxury tax on an annual basis, we think, could be a multi-year situation. But then the first threshold of that luxury tax will come down. So right now it's 210 
it will come down to a, like a 180 as the first threshold where you become a taxpayer and then there'll be four tiers so right now there's a three-tier system okay where it's basically if you go a dollar over up to 20 over you pay 20 percent. if you go 20 over to 40 over you pay 32 percent. if you go over 40 on that tax threshold you're paying over 62 percent of the difference right so for instance if you go five million over which some teams might this year and you're a first time, you know, you didn't exceed the threshold last year. You'll pay 20% of 5 million, the difference you went over. If you went 25 over, you pay 32% of 25 million. Now, if you become a, a repeat offender, if you were an, an over team last year and you're an over team this year, all those percentages increase about 10%. And if you're a third time payer, it goes from 20 to 50 and 32 to 62. I mean, you're talking about a 30% increase for being a third time. So it's incremental, right? First time is 20, second time is 30, third time is 50. That's going to get more aggressive. And the, and the first line at 180 in this proposal is going to be a 25% pay. So you pay 25% of your difference. I, I got to stop it right there. That The second I saw the headline with these kind of bullet points in it, I knew this thing was just, let's just get something out there to get people riled up. And I'm not even talking about media. I'm not even talking about fans. I'm talking about players versus owners. If you don't know just how contentious this situation and this relationship is, do a little bit of reading on this. This is, these are one of the most <clears throat> diabolical relationships in terms of employee versus executive that we have. It's just, just not good. It's not good. They are blatantly outing each other in the public. They are blatantly trying to game each other. And the owners consistently win. And now they've won again by, air quote, not colluding themselves down free agent contracts. I mean, free agent money is down exponentially over the past decade. And it's not an accident. And PEDs are down. Money's down. The average career is way down, like three years. I mean, if you play, if you play four years in Major League Baseball, you are doing something correct. That used to be seven without even trying. I mean, everybody got got a chance to at least sniff the free agent market at first in some capacity, and then if you didn't stick at that point, you got replaced then. You know, for a younger, cheaper, cheaper outfit. But it, it's a rookie contract in football right now. It's what m many of these players are getting. And, and by the way, that's probably after five, six years of mudding it through a minor league system. Um, it's a tough approach. It's a tough approach. So the offer that gets thrown out here that I just referenced is, in my opinion, coming from the ownerships to basically pull rank and say, all right, here's our starting point. You want a floor? You want to get paid more? You want to make sure that the Baltimore Orioles don't you know, win 18 games every year like this, that's fine. We'll toss a floor in there, but we're bringing the threshold way down and we're going to make it more expensive to go over, which if you think about that for, for a few seconds, logically speaking, it's going to make it harder. It's going to make it harder for superstars to get money, which is really what this is targeted at. This is targeted at your Milky Betts, your Bryce Harpers, your Juan Sotos, your Boris clients. Let's be perfectly honest here. It's targeted at the superstars to say, hey, you guys want to get greedy and change everything in the game because you're not happy. That's fine, but you're going to lose. 
let's bring in the basketball side of this, okay? Because there was a point when David Stern and basketball as a whole was sort of broken in this metric. And there was a cap space problem. There was a luxury tax problem. Nobody could really understand how to operate within a hard, you know, a soft cap, but a hard tax and then a tax apron. And then the repeaters were out of bounds. I mean, you had teams and still do having teams pay upwards of 40, $50 million in tax payments on an annual basis. But the difference was that teams were paying. Teams were willing to do it. And it got to such a point that the LeBrons and the Kobe's and, you know, the Garnett's and the Shaq's, they were so far ahead in terms of financial dollars than everybody else on their roster. You know, they'd walk into a locker room, they'd be worth 20 mil. And, and many of the guys sitting there next to them weren't even making five. And it's not because they were on a rookie contract. It's because that was the going rate for a non-superstar veteran eight to 10 to 12 years ago. And everybody realized that the game was too powerful for this to be happening. This was a crunch on the Players Association. So the Chris Pauls of the world, the LeBrons of the world, you know, the really smart people who had the power, had the voice, had the, had the camaraderie, had the people around them to get in a room and say, look, we're not going to take less. In fact, we know exactly how good your books look right now. And we're going to continue to make more exponentially uh, every three to four years like we're doing right now. But we're going to find a way to make everybody else below us come up as well. All right. And that's why we have guys like Robert Williams making $16 million a year right now. Because a decade or so ago, really almost two CBAs ago now at this point, the superstars got in a room and said, we know what you're worth. Everybody knows what you're, what you're worth. We know how good this game is growing and how well it's expanding globally, nationally, the works and how good the TV deals are. And oh, by the way, not going away, right? You either bring everybody up or we're going to crash this thing down hard. And it worked. And they bridged that gap. They set the rookie wage scale, which helps. They kept it short and sweet, which meant those guys got to their rookie extensions within a reasonable amount of time, which means they were happy. And oh, by the way, they, they recently you know, built in the Supermax situation where they basically said, if you're a superstar three years into your career and everybody in the freaking world knows it, instead of having to nickel and dime you through another wage scale process or through, through a minor increase in pay, we're going to let you go and act like you're an eight-year vet or a seven-year vet. Okay, you go get that big time money right away because you're worth it. Because we want to be promoting you both financially, on billboards, and our TV networks, on our social medias, everywhere. If you're that damn good that you're playing like a seven-year vet three years in, we're happy to pay you because you're paying us back already in, in marketing. It's just freaking common sense. Okay, It's just common sense. This is the little stuff that baseball can't figure out. They can't figure out that paying Shohei Otani $250 million right now isn't just handing him cash for nothing. This guy is the talk of ESPN every goddamn day. And it's not an accident. And it's not because he's mashing the ball out of the park every night. He's doing something different every single night. He's doing exactly what new and old baseball fans crave. He can mash the ball out one night. He can strike out 12 one night. He can steal three bases one night. He can triple, he can bunt, he can do whatever the hell you need him to do. That's just the kind of guy he is. He's the perfect player 
for baseball. And he's the perfect player to have right now with the game trying to be quote unquote fixed robot umps, move the mound, fix the ball, bring in the, the fences, whatever the hell has been thrown out there. It's been, I mean, we've talked about it exhaustively on this, but now there's this thing. Now there's this financial offer, and I'm not even going to say offer. I'm going to say headline being tossed around that is clearly coming from the top down to basically say, look, you want a little bit, take your little bit, but you got to give up all that. You got to give up the right for superstars to get paid anymore because nobody's going to go 25% over anymore. Nobody. So now the teams that are actually doing it, even though nobody else is, the Dodgers, sometimes the Yankees, the Astros to some degree, sometimes the Red Sox, although those teams have sort of recycled in the last couple of years, which is also a problem. But the teams that are actually doing it, they're going to stop. They're going to stop. You're going to have no major markets in this game. And I'm going to take a tangent right here and explain to you why I'm a little bit upset about this or upset at the prospect of that being the approach to this next CBA. Our good friends at Sportico, we talk about them all the time. They do a lot of great work and they've done a lot of great work in modern and sort of modernizing the valuation process for these franchises in many sports, but certainly baseball as well. Okay. So I'm going to look at their current rankings right now from 2021 at what these franchises are worth. And you can hem and haw that it's not a direct correlation. You know, there's so many op- costs and, you know, just upkeep and maintenance and so many staff members have to get paid. So, so the players are, are just a small piece of this puzzle. Bullshit. They're the product. They're the talent. Okay. It's like putting an anchor on CNN and saying that person's not important. That's the most important person there. That's why they get paid millions. And the guy that holds the, the wires for them gets paid peanuts. It's just how it works. It's business. It's entertainment. It's, the, it's when two things are, things are combined. It doesn't make sense, but that's how it works. And we all have to live with it. The 30th ranked team according to Sportico's valuations this year, is the Miami Marlins. Okay? They're worth $1.12 billion according to this metric. The worst team in baseball from, from a financial situation is worth $1.1 billion. Your New York Yankees, $6.75 billion, which is at or in some metrics above the Dallas Cowboys the Los Angeles Lakers. The Yankees are worth that much and they might not be taxpayers this year. In fact, I'm positive they won't be when it's all said and done. Your second team, $4.8 billion to the Boston Red Sox who just traded Mookie Betts because they didn't want to pay him or Mookie Betts didn't want to accept their offer. Okay. The Red Sox are going to be payers according to our metrics right now. They made some late additions. They have a pretty hefty payroll. Last year was a was a joke. They they made sure they got themselves out of the uh, out of the pay, the tax situation last year. So I understand them not not wanting to be repeaters, but at two twelve and change right now, according to our numbers, you know they're going to be up there. They're going to be there's going to be a little bit of a bill, and by a little bit, I mean like five hundred thousand dollars. A minimum contract is what their tax bill is going to be which is a whole nother enchilada that I'm not going to get to right now. That's it. That's it. The Yankees are under, are going to be under, in my opinion. The Padres are going to be under. The Astros are going to be under. The Angels are going to be under. Okay, those are your teams sort of in there. And the Phillies are kind of there too now. The Mets kind of dropped off a little bit with some of their moves. But the, that's it. So here's your valuations. Yankees, 6.7. Red Sox, 4.8. Dodgers, 4.6. 
Cubs 4.1, Giants 3.4. There's a lot of West Coast there. There's a lot of West Coast there. Okay. These teams are worth a ton. The second team in New York is worth $2.5 billion in the Mets. And they don't do much winning at all. In comparison, where you are matters. And where you are helps financially. West Coast, New York, LA, Chicago, these big markets, they're making a ton of money. There's a ton of profit built into these valuations, a ton. I know it's a bad time to talk about owners making money because I'm sure most of them lost a boatload in the past 24 months. I'm not saying we should just be throwing money away. What I'm saying is to bring in a floor with the concession of, all right, but we're going to stop paying superstars 300 million. Okay, it's going to be more like 175 from now on because you know we're not going over to 180. We're not going to go over that 180 threshold every year. That's just not going to happen. Nor, nor will we go over 210. So you know, you want to make sure that a couple of guys that don't deserve 15 million a year get 15 million a year. Fine, we'll do that. But you know, you're not getting 30 anymore. You know, you're not getting 50. Juan Soto, no way. We're not going to that anymore. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's okay. There's a part of me that thinks, because of the state of the game right now, that superstars might have to take a bit of a hit here in order to make sure that younger players are paid earlier. You know, we're going to look at this Ronald Acuna contract and think, what the hell was he thinking forever? I mean, he took $12 million a year. He, if he doesn't get injured, he's an MVP candidate. If, next, if he's healthy next year, he's an MVP candidate. But I, I have to think that that's where... Many of, of these groups want this to go. Owners inclusive. Okay. If they're not paying 40 a year, seven years into a guy's career, which is where we are right now, right? Six years of service time, three pre-arbs, three arb years, and then the seventh year you hit free agency. And at that point, many of these guys are 28, 29, almost 30. That's when we get awkward having to put out 10-year contracts for $300 million or 13 for 330, like a Bryce Harper situation. You know, sometimes you'll catch a guy at 26 years old because he came in when he was 18, he went to academy, skipped college, all that stuff. But there's a lot of ways to look at this. To me, the idea that we are using average salaries is something that isn't being talked about enough. So I sort of just alluded to it there. You go through seven years of, or six years of control, but Wherever you happen to fall age-wise in your seventh year is when you're eligible for your free agent contract if you haven't been extended. And then at that point, let's say you're 27, you're looking for an eight-year contract at $30 million a year, okay? Something Frankie Lindor was probably looking for. What did Frankie Lindor end up signing for, okay? 10 years for 341, Okay. Why did they have to go to 10 years? Why did they have to give a 27-year-old a 10-year contract? And by the way, fully guaranteed. There's no club options built into these. If anything, there's player options, which is great for the players. But why did they have to go 10 years? They had to go 10 years because they have to keep the average salary minimal, as minimal as possible, because that is the tax, the taxable salary. The AAV of the guarantees of a contract are the, is the taxable entity. So for, as of right now, the Mets have a $34.1 million tax salary starting next year for Frankie Lindor. If we look at Harper, if we look at Betts, it's considerably lower because they went longer. 
They went longer. Harper, like I said, 13 for 330. His average salary is 25.3. That's a player who thought he was going to get $50 million, $500 million total, you know, $40 million a year coming out of the gates at 26 years old hitting free agency. It didn't happen. Why? Because nobody would take on the average salary because that's what matters to the tax. So maybe that's what needs to be fixed because guess what? In the NBA, that's not how this works. It's a year-by-year thing. You want to backload a contract? You want to front-load a contract? Whatever that is, is where we land. Okay, so for instance, Giannis is worth $39 million this year. He'll be worth $52 million in five years. It's the same contract, but, but everything varies based on the cap hit. That's how it works, which means you can stagger, you can structure, you can move numbers around a little bit to work for you especially if you're a team that's in a contention window. We talk about this all the time with the NFL. Josh Allen signed for eight years, not for six years, because these first two years have to basically look cap neutral. So the Bills can continue to sign players either this offseason, next offseason, and so forth to make sure that their team stays intact with the quarterback who's high paid, but with flexibility to move cap around for their hard cap. If we treat Major League Baseball's tax structure as if there were... a stricter cap, which we we have to at this point now, because the teams are doing it. If the teams aren't willing to go over, then it's a hard it's a hard situation. It's a hard tax. Okay, the Dodgers are the anomaly here, and in the same breath, if the teams aren't willing to pay at all, then we need some sort of hard floor. So I'm not throwing the notion of this headline air quotes completely out the door. I'm throwing the idea of of what was actually broken out in it. You know, it can't be, we'll give you this if we give you, if you take away all of this, that shouldn't happen. But I don't think it's a terrible idea to at least approach it from both sides because the game, it has so few eyeballs right now that I think the right thing to do is to make sure every player is on board with the fact that, look it, you're not getting $400 million at age 30 anymore. Those days are done. We know what the career length is. We know what's happening right now. We know that we're looking for 18-year-olds, mostly international, because those guys have the reps, right? They don't, they're not, they don't go through a stricter format like our college program does, even though plenty of good college pitchers come out and perform. In the, you know. But there's a... I can't even say loophole anymore. It's just the way that teams are doing business now to get these young kids in show them a little bit of money right out of the gate and then try to get them to deal into these rookie extensions a year, two, three years into their major league career, which is a ton of money for them. But in terms of the luxury tax, in terms of the longevity of building a team really works well for the teams. I'm starting to get on board with the fact that that's just how the game has to be. Now, if the careers are going to truncate down from eight to four, then let's make those four to six years that these kids are really prominent as profitable and as exciting as possible. And those two things come hand in hand. I, I do think this, this is the concession, by the way, not to get too off tangent here with, with the financial side of it, but there's no way in my mind that we go through these, these negotiations over the next six months and we end up still with six years of team control. It just can't happen. It can't happen. It's too long. The teams get too much value on too many players that aren't getting extensions. Okay. Now, if there's a floor built in, some of those guys will get paid. They'll have to. 
the Indians would have had to have paid Shane Bieber, maybe even Jose Ramirez on an extension again, just to get their, themselves to the floor this year. Okay, there would have been money paid out. They would have kept one of these players, and you know, you would have had to bring in contracts of substance just to get themselves to the floor. So, but is that what we want? Do we want teams forcibly having to sign players to contracts that they don't want to hand out, or that players are no near worth? That's not good. That's not good business because then it just looks fake. It's like a soccer player taking a dive on every single play. We don't want that. We want the game to have a natural ebb and flow. And it's starting to happen with this recent youth expansion, right? You know, the, the, the Mariners, the Rays, they've made some smaller extensions. The, the Twins to some degree. Even the Yankees, Aaron Hicks got a nice little extension. And Severino got an early extension there. Only the, only the Dodgers are kind of playing by six years or we'll take your guy and we'll pay him. That's kind of the old school way to do it. And good for them, by the way. They're kind of carrying the load right now. But I do think that process probably should go away because there's not enough teams that can do it anymore, willingly or want to or whatever. But it does have to dial back to a point where, similar with NBA, your smaller teams, your, your smaller market teams, you know, they're not. They're not bringing in high-priced signing trade guys every other offseason to try to rebuild a super team. They have an ebb and flow to it. So, you know, the Heat know when they have to spend. They've done a little bit in the past two years. They're in a bit of a window where they think they can compete in the East. They'll flip that switch in maybe two years, maybe not even. And they'll, they'll dial back things a little bit. But it's okay because there's a time when they go. When's the last time the Baltimore Orioles went? Like, went. And, and you, you can... Give every excuse in the world. Oh, the Yankees are too good. The Red Sox are too good. The Rays pay nothing, but they're still too good. How do we even compete in this division? Here's where I want to go with this. Yes, service time should come down. Less than six years. Let's chop off a year of pre-arb. Let's get them right into arbitration. There's just a lot more evaluation. Analytics are involved. There's a lot more ways for guys to get paid. Or guys that shouldn't be in the system at all, they'll get weeded out right out of the gate. That has to happen. We want veterans moving around. I don't want the fourth best pitcher getting an arm, getting on the mound because he's worth $580,000 when there's a $4 million pitcher somewhere on some roster that shouldn't be there that should be pitching on a good team. That's got to change too. We need movement. We need the ability to move. I don't want your bad player just because he's cheap. Analytics should know better than that. There should be much more into bringing that guy let the other team pay half his salary. I want him now because we should be looking to win more games every year. So here's where I want to go with this. The one thing basketball did to figure this out in that discussion, and it, it's been about 15 to 20 years of this, but it's continued to evolve. And, and look, it changed just last year with the play-in system. There's going to be a lot of traditional baseball people, and I'm one of them, by the way, that are going to hate this but I don't see how we get away from expanded playoffs. I mean, really expanded to the point of where divisions don't even exist anymore. There's an East, there's a West, eight teams make it. It's just like hockey. It's just like basketball. We need teams involved. We need, we need Cinderella stories where seven seeds win World Series. We need teams having a reason to push. And I know that the seven seed still isn't going to push. It doesn't happen in basketball either. You know, the Warriors didn't just do anything at the trade deadline. They limped into the playoffs. They barely got in. And, you know, they, but they were watchable. They were there. The point is they were there. Okay. We need Mike Trout and Shohei Otani there. 
in September and October. And right now, they're nowhere. They're a sports center blip. Obviously not Trout with the injury, but, but Otani is a sports center blip. He's an Instagram post. He's something we watch for 15 seconds. We talk about it on Twitter, or maybe to our friends for five seconds, and it's gone. And, and thank God it comes back the next day because he's so damn good. But generally speaking, that wouldn't be the case with most of these superstars, you know? So it's got to happen. We need to expand to the point of where all of our superstars find their way in. That's what happens in the NBA. Dame's in. LeBron's in. Everybody gets in. Chris Paul gets in. James Harden gets in. Kevin Durant gets in. Even Steph Curry on the worst possible situation ever in Golden State got in because he's that damn good. And the, the NBA gave him a chance to get himself and his team there. And it happened. It's got to happen. So number one for fixing the, the revenue problem in baseball is just to get more damn eyes on the game. And that's how you do it. You make sure all of your superstars spread out across your league have a legitimate chance to compete for the World Series on an annual basis. It's got to happen. It has to happen. Everything else will kind of take shape after that because there'll be more discussion. And oh, by the way, there'll be more movement because the sixth seed in July before that trade deadline will absolutely be looking to get the ninth seed's second best pitcher or the ninth seed's first baseman who is going to be having an expiring contract in two years and they know they're not going to extend him. There's just going to be so much more movement both in season and out of season because teams won't have to think about, well, there's two teams in my division who are absolute burners and there's no chance I can do it. I don't have the payroll right now. I don't have the ability to go and trade assets to get the kind of players that compete. Well, great. No longer do you have to compete with it with the three or four teams in your division. Now you're competing with your East or your West and you just have to start picking off teams one by one one by one to get yourself into a decent standing. Okay. There's only going to be a handful of teams that don't make it in and they're really going to be a reason they don't make it. And maybe it's one of those teams like the Orioles who is deciding to reset that year, which we're going to have to live with. We're just going to have to live with that. Okay. But they'll be back because they'll be, they'll have a better chance to become an eight seed quickly with a couple of rookies that hit with a good trade that hits with a, a you know, a good bargain free agent signing that just hits those things happen all the time in baseball. It happens all the time in all sports. We need to give more teams a chance from a competitive standpoint. We need to stop asking them to be competitive by signing contracts, and we need to give them the, a, a reason to be competitive, which is more available wildcard spots, more available playoff spots, you know, one-round playing games. Baseball's already done this. Expand it, open it up. Give these teams a chance in December, okay? There's so many teams out of it in June. So many. And there's just, it's a lifeless stretch down the summer. They call it the dog days of summer because there's so many teams and players that have already checked out. That's how do you expect fans to check in then? If half the half the league is out. It's gotta happen. It's gotta happen. Stop the robot ups, stop the mounts, stop fixing the ball. Fix this. Make your game more competitive with more competition. Then the money will come. Then the player movement will come. Then the transactions will come. Then the eyeballs will come. Then Twitter will explode more. It happens. Every, time, every single time Kevin Durant's contract is touched, whether it's a trade, whether it's free agency, whether it's an extension, the world goes crazy for one day. That has to happen all the time in baseball. You have, the, you have 1,100 players right now. Some are on a roster, on a 40-man roster. I just did the math. 
as to how it stands right now. Of the of the 1065 players that I have on an active roster right now, 482 make more than a million dollars. The minimum salary right now is $570,500. Okay? 482 out of 1065 make more than a million. That means for those of you math majors out there that there are 583 a hundred more. There's a hundred more players making less than a million than there are making more than a million in Major League Baseball right now. And I'm talking about an average salary. There are 38 players making an average salary of $20 million or more out of 1,065. I'm not saying everybody in the world should make $20 million. I'm saying that number's not even close to big enough. It's not even close to big enough. There's 223 players making 5 million plus. 223 players. It's not enough. They go through six years of arbitration, then they're expected to get a a decent paycheck year seven. There's 223 players, which is exactly what? About seven players per roster making 5 million plus. I bet you you could name five teams that have less than three players making $5 million plus. I bet you could do it right now because you know where the game is. Okay. I don't need to go through all these numbers. The average salary in the league is $3.6 million. The median salary is $620,000. Okay. <laughs> I don't need to tell you this stuff. It's gone completely haywire. It is bring in the, the, the pre-Arab guys. They'll bat 210 but they'll hit some balls out or, you know, they'll take a walk here or there or give me the cheap arms because they're going to get hurt anyway. So might as well play them out now. And then if any of them stick through their second Tommy John surgery, we'll give them 18 million a year. And they can be our number three at that point. It's not good. It's not good. Okay. <laughs> the, the LA Dodgers just acquired Trey Turner and took Max Scherzer on as the throw-in player. Think about that. Think about how much different the Dodgers are than everybody else in the world right now in this sport. They didn't just rent Max Scherzer for an asset. They, they took on Max Scherzer's salary by taking on Trey Turner's next two years of control. And guess what? They're going to pay Trey Turner $400 million, regardless of what happens to the CBA. Because Trey Turner is one of the five best players in baseball. He does everything. He does everything. He's batting 320. He's got 25 stolen bases. He's got 25. He's do, he does everything. And the Washington Nationals just let him walk with Max Scherzer for some decent prospects. That'll be $580,000 a year for the next three years. That's where we are. And it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to blame the Nationals. It was time for them to rip it up. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's cyclical for those kind of teams. It's going to have to be. But the Dodgers are doing so many things different than everybody else that if you don't see how broken that is, and I love it, by the way, I wish there were eight teams doing that, but there aren't. And that's the point. Okay. And that's broken. You can't have one, one team doing all the things that, that big market teams should be doing and everybody else saying, yeah, but we don't have to do that. We can just dial it back about 20%, about 20% financially. And we're still going to win about 90% of the games they win. And then who knows when we get to the postseason because it's a, such a small pool of teams. We just have to knock off a couple of teams and we're in. If it were different, 
they would think differently. If it were four rounds of postseason, okay, and you were getting that in, by the way, in September, right, but right before the NBA, the NFL stuff really hits. If you had, if you owned the end of August and all of September with this kind of stuff, with this round robin, quick rounds of you know four round postseason, where your eight your eight best team and your top teams were all playing, certainly some bye weeks. But if that was built into this. You, you wouldn't have teams like the Red Sox and the Astros and the Angels dialing it back percentages because, hey, we don't have to be what the Dodgers are doing. They're overdoing it. They don't even need Trey Turner. They have Corey Seager. What are they doing? They're just blowing money right now. Well, they're the defending champs. And for my card, my betting card, I'm putting Houston and the LA Dodgers back in that World Series this year because neither of those teams have given have give a flying F about what the rest of the league is doing. They built themselves the right way through the draft via free agency, using trades, hitting all the notes, taking other other people's expensive players, and saying, "You're not even you're not even paid enough yet. Wait till you see what happens when you get here and start winning actual games. Then you're going to see your paydays." And oh, by the way, it's L.A., so walk down the street a couple of times and get a couple of commercials. It's easy stuff for them. It's easy stuff for them. Everybody else should be operating with at least some some kind of brevity in this regard. Okay, do we need to dial the Dodgers back? Sure. That's kind of what I'm talking about here. They're they're in an old school system and they're taking advantage of teams deciding not to go this route. They they clearly are and it's winning. They're, they're doing the right thing. But we dial them back. We bring 75% of the league up closer to where they were and we just get more movement. I'm not saying I want, you know, Kevin Durant bouncing around to four teams in, in eight years. I don't know if that's great for him or for basketball. And I don't think Jacob DeGrom bouncing around to four teams is great for baseball. There's certainly something to a longevity, being able to buy a jersey, going, you know, it's a long season. There should be some sort of something to hang on to and root for from a fan player standpoint. So I'm not saying that I want players moving around every three to four years in Major League Baseball. But there'd be a lot more of it if A, we didn't use average salaries for luxury tax, which means you could structure your contracts accordingly, which means if you extended your rookies early, you could build in arbitration years that counted as luxury tax salaries. So for instance, Fernando Tatis would only count $5 million against the luxury tax the first year, and it could incrementally go up and then come back down at the end of the contract. Why not? Well, that's just logical if he's getting older. Well, current baseball doesn't allow for that. If you sign $30 million on 10 years, you're $30 million right now and you're $30 million in 10 years. It makes no sense. You're screwing the teams and ultimately you're screwing the players and not just the player who signed the contract, but the players around the player who signed the contract. It's a team sport. There's 40-man payrolls. Everything's got to change. We can't have 38 out of 1,065 making $20 million and 500 and 83 players making less than a million. That ain't going to work. Expand the playoffs, get everybody involved, get more teams contending. It'll allow for more player movement every year, in season and out of season. It'll allow for these contracts to come up. You will be opting to, pay, to take on a $2.5 million or $3 million player because they're better and you can win with them right now than waiting for a $580,000 player to grow up and develop into your number two pitcher. Okay? I don't want that to stop happening, by the way. 
I still think you should build through your draft, build through your international signings and create a team that way that you can piece on with free agency and trades at that point. I still think that's the right approach. But in the interim, if you're the sixth seed and you love your team, you should be able to go and get two players right now and stack onto it and not have to worry about four tiers of luxury tax and not have to worry about not spending enough on an annual basis because everybody's going to want to be winning on an annual basis. That's the, that's the approach I want to leave you with right now. You're going to hear a lot of people say that teams like the, the Indians and the Orioles and the Rays and whatnot are simply just trying not to win and they're spending $50 million a year to do it. They just don't care. There's no incentive for them to spend money in this sport. They can do whatever they want. They're still going to fill up, you know, 20% of their stands throughout through an 81 game home schedule. They're still going to get good TV money from their regional networks. It's still going to work out. They're still going to profit. Okay. Where do you think the Orioles stand on this list of valuations? If I had to guess out loud, bet you it's right in the middle somewhere. I bet you it's right in the middle. 17th, $1.7 billion for the Baltimore Orioles. Okay. Cleveland's going to be a little bit lower, of course. 21st, $1.38 billion. $52 million payroll right now. 21st <laughs> valued team in the league. I, the incentive isn't, we have to have you spending money. That should be what, that should be what happens because we fix the game above it. Get more teams in the playoffs. Give, more, give them more incentive to want to be active every season, and the money will come. It will have to come. It'll have to come. That's enough on the baseball. Let's switch to football. All right, as promised, I'm going to break down the Jamal Adams contract and talk a little bit about how that may be future-looking to a couple more players, both on the defensive side of the ball and in general over the next couple of weeks as the regular season approaches us here. Adam's contract is pretty traditional. I mean, I, the way that it works now with these first round trades, right? I mean, there were any player who was acquired for two firsts and then some, the ball's in your court. It's whatever you kind of ask for, you're pretty much going to get. Now, it looks like the Seahawks did play a little bit of hardball here because I know the going rate was $18 million. It always was. It always should be. And the average salary for this contract is 17 and a half. It can get to 18 pretty easily with, you know, some sack and interception incentives, which... I shouldn't say easily. That's hard for a player like this to do, but it's possible for him to get that 18 million points. So the concessions where our base value is going to be a little bit less if you perform your ass off on any given year, we'll get you up there closer to that 18 million a year. As I just mentioned with the baseball stuff, it's structured cap friendly for the next two years. Adam's cap hit used to be $9.86 million. It dropped to five with this new contract. Okay. And it goes up to 9.1 million next year. So tons of savings all over the place here for the Seahawks these next two years, which makes sense because they extended Lockett this year. DK Metcalf will be eligible next year, as will Russell probably with two years left on his contract. So this is just another example of them doing their due diligence here. It's 46 and change over three years. So if you do the AEV math on that, you know, you're getting about $16 million a year for Jamal Adams through his guarantees. Okay, he's got a little bit of guaranteed money right now in terms of uh, injury guarantees in that third year. But really, this is a one-year, $21 million guaranteed contract. That's how it looks from a guaranteed at sign standpoint. You know, the dead cap is a little bit stronger. They, they added a signing bonus, option bonus. So there's two waves of proration here. So there's a decent amount of dead cap next year and then in 2022. But after that, it's done. 
three years, 46 million. That's uh that's the potential out on this guy. And it's a very, very cost effective situation for the Seahawks after that, when the cap should be way up there, way up there at that point, 2023, 24. So he got his multi-year extension. He got his guarantees. He'll see 46 million on this contract pretty easily, possibly more with those incentives. But you know, the average salary, the total guarantees, they're up there. Obviously, they're up there with the tops in terms of the safety market. I think this could have been higher. I told you I thought 18 was the threshold. I thought his guarantee should have been 50. I thought I think that's where we should be. It's close. He'll get there with, if he hits some of these incentives. But I, I think the practical guarantees out of the gate over three years should have been $50 million. Um, that's They gave up two firsts, a third, tons. I mean, tons here to get this guy from the Jets who were never going to pay him. They didn't even pay the Marcus May, the guy they replaced him with. So it's, it's, uh, to me, it's shocking that Adams didn't get a little bit more out of this, but he, I think he's happy on the team he's on. They're certainly in contention and they did keep it cap friendly for the first two seasons. So he played a little, you know, good guy, hardball there with the team. Uh, I just, I, I hate to see what happens in three years. You know, it's Xavier Howard situation, two years in his contract. He hates it. At least this isn't eight years out, right? This is a standard four-year extension, five-year total, three years basically guaranteed. Pretty traditional stuff. So what's next? So the safety market has been reset from an average annual salary once again. There are a couple of safeties sitting out there now looking at this saying, all right, you know, that didn't blow me away like a Jalen Ramsey situation did in quarterbacks, but it's going to help Micah Fitzpatrick. It's going to help Jesse, Jesse Bates with Cincinnati, who I know is in deep discussions right now. You know, there's some cornerbacks as well who are going to look at the safety market now and say, hey, what the hell, right? I mean, it's it's time to get paid in that regard too. And I'm speaking to Jalen Ramsey. I know Denzel Ward is getting close with Cleveland. That has to be happening right now. Um, this is going to help a versatile player like that. Oh, by the way, the Chiefs and Tyron Matthew are entering an expiring contract here. You know, he kind of reset the market when he joined the Chiefs free agency from Houston. I have to imagine that he's going to be close to doing that again. Now, maybe he doesn't go 18 mil with the, with those uh, that Chiefs situation as it is with so many miles already fed. But in the same breath, he may not be long for the Chiefs. You know, if there's a team out there and he hits free agency that is willing to pay him 18 million a year, you know, maybe 40 guaranteed on top of that. I think he I think he bounces, even though the, his situation in Kansas City is pretty ideal. And that's obviously a team you want to be around to win some rings. But I have a feeling that if the uh, the Chiefs don't pony up uh, on a multi-year extension for Tyron, he's going to be in this conversation because I, I do think Bates gets top market. I do think the uh, Mika situation, they gave up a lot to bring him in in Pittsburgh. And like I said, they may be paying defensive pretty hard here over the next year or two. Um. And the Saints have a couple of secondary pieces that they should be signing. Now, I'm not sure what kind of situation they think they're in. Are they willing to pay right now with the kind of discontent at the quarterback position? Maybe Michael Thomas is out the door after this. There may be some, uh, a bit of a rebuild there ahead of us, but what happens with Marcus Williams? What happens with Lattimore? Um, plenty to talk about there with, with, with the secondary as a whole. It's a passing league. Quarterbacks are getting paid. Wide receivers are getting paid. Jalen Ramsey helped the cornerback market. This sort of helps, in my opinion, the safety market. It certainly takes it a little bit north, but the guarantees are lacking with the safety position. I expect that to change with these next couple of contracts. I think a little bit less on the average salary 
but a little bit more impactful. Teams that can afford the cap up front, Cincinnati, the Jets, right? Teams that can do that. I think the players and the agents will squeeze more front-loaded cash, more front-loaded guarantees, and really push that side of the equation, which, let's be honest, I think it matters more. It should be mattering more than average salary. So good deal for Jamal Adams, but I expect this next wave to really to really push things a little bit more structurally in terms of the guarantees, the upfront cash flow, things like that. Okay, that's going to do it for this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack for 40% off your first year subscription. We'll be back in a few days, a little basketball recap, maybe even a little bit of hockey as that thing starts to get to the finish line with their free agency as well. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trick Podcast. Oh,